Welcome to ID the Future, a podcast about intelligent design and evolution. Welcome to ID the Future. I'm Andrew McDermott. Today, I welcome back Michael Newton Keyes, author of the new book, Unbelievable, Seven Myths About the History and Future of Science and Religion, published by ISI Books. Keyes is a senior fellow at the Discovery Institute and a former Fulbright scholar. After earning a PhD in the history of science from the University of Oklahoma, he won research grants from the National Science Foundation and the American Council of Learned Societies, among others. Keyes currently serves as lecturer in the history and philosophy of science at Biola University and is on the board of directors of Ratio Christi, an alliance of apologetics clubs on college campuses. Mike, good to have you back for more discussion. Yes, well, there's plenty of interesting things to talk about, about science and religion. Awesome. Well, your new book debunks seven of the most popular and pernicious myths about science and religion. In this and other episodes, you're helping us take an in-depth look at each myth, where it comes from, why it persists today, and the truth of the matter. In chapter four of your book, you tackle this question and the myth that surrounds it. Was Bruno, that is Giordano Bruno, burned alive as a martyr for science? So, uh, Andrew, Andrew, great uh, uh, Italian accent, by the way, for the name. <laughs> <laughs> Giordano yeah, Bruno, eh? Yeah, yeah, he was an Italian philosopher. He matters a lot today because, I mean, there's a statue of him in, in uh, Rome, and he has this sort of scowling look, and he's facing the Vatican, uh, on his face, you know, he's, he's as if, you know, what did you do to me, you know? Yeah. And he's an emblem of free speech, and I think legitimately so, but often he's also taken to be a martyr for science, and that's where I have shown that that just flies in the face of the historical evidence. He really wasn't a martyr for science, although some of his books give a little bit of that appearance, but when you look closer, it, that argument uh, breaks down, and that, that impression kind of dissipates. Yeah. Well, the idea that he was a martyr kind of came about during the time of Darwin in the 19th century. Is that is that right? Well, that's when he was used more extensively to argue for freedom of scientists to pursue their ideas without any obstruction. And one of, by the way, ironically, one of the guys who helped raise money for that statue was Ernst Haeckel, the one who's also infamous for the f- kind of faked uh, embryo drawings. Oh, there uh, you go. So, so he had freedom, but he, he actually misused his freedom. <laughs> huh. Interesting tidbit. Well, did Bruno have a scientifically based belief in a sun-centered astronomy? Well, he was a Copernican of sorts. He, he never really showed any indication of understanding the, the real mathematical genius of Copernicus as the author of the first complete mathematical model of a sun-centered astronomy. But he did latch on to the idea of Earth as a planet, but it really wasn't based in even the scientific standards of his own day. It was more a philosophically, theologically motivated trajectory of, hey, you know, if, if Earth is going around the sun and it's one planet, then the stars up in the sky, maybe they're also suns with planets around those. And he, he was very keen on trying to show that, that the universe was full of, you know, a huge number, infinitely, actually, number of planets like the one that we live on ourselves. Sure. Now, I understand he had a bit of a pantheistic view on origins and, and what he considered in the universe. 
Did he have a scientifically based belief in an infinite universe and with extraterrestrial life, perhaps? Well, at this time, no one really had any good evidence about whether the universe is infinite or not from science or whether aliens existed. So his belief that the universe was sort of an, a necessary emanation of God um, and the only way that God could sort of reveal himself to us was through this infinite cosmos. He, he had a very, very low view of Jesus, didn't think that he was really important in God's plan. But the universe itself was kind of like divine revelation. And, it, and he thought it had to be of infinite size uh, to, exp to express the infinite power of God. Uh, so it was, a, it was a, a little bit of an odd theological viewpoint. I mean, frankly, the part that, that says that denies God freedom to create as big or small or finite or whatever size universe he wants, that's clearly heretical to, you know, to deny God that freedom. But now that we know that there are many extrasolar planets out there, you know, up to date, we have cataloged about 4,000 of them, that is, planets that go around other suns besides our own. Mm -hmm. So it, he, he, looking back at Bruno kind of anachronistically, it's easy to sort of pick out different things he kind of got right, but for the wrong reasons. He wasn't really scientifically based and say, ah, see, he was, he was ahead of his time, you know, he he had all these modern-looking ideas, but when you dig deeper, the, the basis for those ideas was pretty flimsy, even by the standards of his own time. Right. So, as far as extrasolar planets, did he have some correct ideas, and were those ideas challenged during his um, eventual trial with the Church? Yeah. The, the, there's a historian of science at UT Austin who's written a book about this, and he has corrected the view that Bruno really didn't care about this aspect of science. Bruno clearly did care about about extrasolar planets, and but unfortunately, Martinez overcorrects. I mean, way overcorrects, and 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 sort of defends somewhat the view of Bruno that was peddled in Cosmos 2014, uh, which was hosted by Neil deGrasse Tyson, mm -hmm. which makes Bruno into kind of a scientific messiah figure, and kind of. It, it, it glorifies him as an emblem of, you know, the, the brave scientist and so on who, who had to oppose religion. So this science and religion warfare, you know, theme. Yeah. So, so Martinez kind of overcorrects there and goes that direction. What I, what I do is I sort through where, what he gets right and what's, what he gets wrong in my book, and that is Martinez, and show that Bruno did have some correct ideas, but again, for the wrong reasons. And so he did, that doesn't really make him a promising martyr for science to, to have to luckily pick out a few ideas that happen to be modern ideas, but for reasons that were not legitimate, even at the, by the standards of his own time. Right. Well, has historic Christianity been opposed to belief in alien life? There's been a surprising amount of diversity in the Christian tradition on that question. In the late Middle Ages, for example, there was, uh, uh, I mean, Nicholas of Cusa, he thought that, you know, that the universe was infinite in size and had probably had lots of planets. He didn't really say much about life on those planets. And he later became a cardinal. So clearly it wasn't heretical to think about other planets and that might, might have life on them, perhaps. But there was another theologian uh, just lived shortly after him who thought, you know, if Jesus died on this world and came back to life, that might have effects on other planets, even though he didn't think it was likely that or even 
kosher to think that Jesus died on multiple planets for multiple forms of life. Regardless of what one thinks about that speculation, it is a fact that historically within Christianity, there have been alien haters and alien lovers. And it just happened that at the time of Bruno, the pendulum had swung a little bit more toward more church authorities being opposed to the compatibility of alien life with Christianity. But there's still diversity even at, in Bruno's time. Huh. So why did the Catholic Church burn Bruno then? Well, uh, this is in the middle of the Counter-Reformation, so the Church was uh, hypersensitive to any challenges to, or, or perceived challenges to orthodoxy. Now, Bruno clearly was a heretic on fairly conventional grounds. Uh, he, he, he ridiculed Jesus, thought he was just one more soul that was migrating from planet to planet to planet. And, and that also shows that it was his view of the transmigration of souls, which I just described, uh, that was what was really behind all his enthusiasm about extrasolar planets, mm. because he, he, he thought that he, you really had no reason to fear death, because once you die, you're just going to go to another planet, and you'll have another life there, and there is no like final judgment. So, so there were clearly some heretical components to his thought, you know, denying the uniqueness of Jesus as, as the, uh, the incarnation of God, and you know, this nece- necessitarian view of, of God as creator, that God had no choice, and a few other things I mentioned earlier, those burn Bruno. Now, of course, the vast majority of Christians throughout history have not been in favor of burning people for their ideas, even if they're heretical. Uh, Love and persuasion is the way to go. But Bruno, of course, unfortunately, he lived during the Counter-Reformation where things got a little bit tense, and um, yeah, in the end, the Catholic Church, you know, obviously made a mistake in burning him, but he wasn't a martyr for science, and that's the take-home. Sure, and those are good points to make. Well, it looks like we have uh, time for one more question, uh, not directly related to the myth we've been discussing today. As a teacher, you're around a lot of students and colleagues. We live in such uh, an instant world these days. Access to information is all around us, yet we have trouble finding the truth. Or we don't want to do the work it takes to get to the bottom of things. Do you see these trends in academia? And what is your advice on overcoming intellectual laziness and pursuing the truth? Well, in my own field of history and philosophy of science, I'm always going back to the primary sources, you know, the, the, the people that lived at the time of the event, you know, what did they write? Or in the case of science and philosophy, who were the leading authorities representing each viewpoint? Go back to the best proponents uh, of each view and and assess their arguments. Don't just go by what seems to be the popular view or the politically correct view, but follow the evidence where it leads. And so I do that as a historian of science. I do that as a philosopher of science. And as having taught for 25 years astronomy and biology, I, I did that as a science you know, teacher, professor, uh, helping students to follow the evidence wherever it leads. That's, that's I think, extremely important to ha- help them to think through what they believe about their faith about science and come to rational conclusions. Yeah. Well, we all have minds and there's no point in believing anything unless you you can support the idea of you believing it, you know, and today it's it's so easy to just uh let Google do our thinking for us and and just kind of sit back and take what's given to us, but I'm so glad that uh folks like you are are giving us a good example of getting to the bottom of things digging down past these myths that uh, we've heard countless times and just really 
helping us to get to the bottom of it. So thanks a lot, Mike, for, for doing this book and for your time today. Yeah, it was a good way to frame the conclusion here. So uh, it's encouraging to me to keep on doing what I'm doing. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, no worries. Well, in other episodes, I'm looking forward to you unpacking other myths between science and religion that you discuss in this fine piece of scholarship. For more information on the book Unbelievable, you can visit unbelievablemyths.com. That's unbelievablemyths.com. And you can also find the book by inquiring at your favorite bookstore. And if you can't get it, well, you need a new favorite. Find the rest of my conversations with Michael Keyes at idthefuture.com or search for ID the Future in your favorite podcast app. For ID the Future, I'm Andrew McDermott. Thanks for listening. This program was recorded by Discovery Institute's Center for Science and Culture. ID the Future is copyright Discovery Institute. For more information, visit intelligentdesign.org and idthefuture.com.